Merry Christmas. Ah, you guys made it. We made it to Christmas morning. I'm a little bit on a sugar high from last night, so I'm going to hold my notes here to keep me a little focused. But I welcome you guys all. Um, I'm Kim Stafiri, Bill's wife. If you ever do forget my name, you can refer to me as the First Lady. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Um, but good morning. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm so excited that we get to celebrate this together. And you know what's so fun? I mean, I love Christmas. I love waking up and seeing all the beautiful packages all wrapped together. My mother-in-law puts beautiful ribbons on everything. I mean, I'm just, last night I was taping some with like masking tape, anything I could find to just get it together. But my mother-in-law always puts so much effort into beautiful gifts. And I know some of you guys have started unwrapping your gifts already, right? We've had an opportunity to do that. And Christmas is a time where we run around, we get all these gifts, and we get so excited to open them, and then we start opening some of these gifts. And some of them are things we didn't ask for, right? We've all received one of those gifts we didn't ask for. I got an exercise bike. I mean, who gives exercise equipment to somebody who doesn't ask for it? What are you saying? I hate that gift. Or, or we get the, um, you know, IOU gift. Oh, it's coming in the mail. I mean, how many of those are you still waiting for? I'm still waiting for some of those IOU gifts, right? Or, or um, we've gotten the re-gift gift. You know, somebody re-gifted. And how Bill and I knew it was re-gifted is when we got home, um, it was engraved to somebody else. <laughs> not, not to us. You know, we got the re-gift. Or um, some of us moms, you know, we, we've gotten those, those mom coupons, those parent coupons. Oh, they're made so lovely. But some of them are a little hard to redeem, right, later on? But we didn't get them redeemed. Or we did redeem them, and now our kitchen is an absolute disaster. Thank you, that's our gift. We get to go clean it up, right? Well, my all-time favorite gift, my dad is a great gift giver. Oh, he just does elaborate gifts. And his Christmas finally came where he had a grandchild. And I hear that all of a sudden when those kids enter Christmas again, it's magical, right? Oh, the wonder of them opening gifts. Well, my sister had had a baby, and it was now about eight months old, and my dad was so excited to have Christmas joy again. His name was Tanner, and he could not wait to give him gifts. Well, he had a huge pile, and my sister began to help little Tanner open gifts. Well, she began to open these from my dad, and the first one she opened was a little tuxedo for him. And the next one was a little baseball outfit for him. And the next one was running through the rain, a little raincoat. As she continued to begin to open these, my dad was so thrilled, yet they were not gifts for Tanner. They were gifts for a bear named Teddy Rupskin. (laughs) My dad had went out and bought 12 brand new outfits for his grandson made for a bear to wear. (laughs) And the sad thing was, as soon as he had realized that, and all of us had realized, my sister had to continue to open six more outfits. You know, we have all gotten those gifts we had hoped for. We would hoped for this gift, and it wasn't what we had hoped for. We finally opened that gift, and it didn't fit. We've had those times where we've run around to try to find that perfect gift for someone, only to find it had already been sold out, right? But what I love about Christmas is it reminds us that we did receive the perfect gift. It fits perfectly. It's just for us. And God has sent his one and only son. And that is the perfect gift. Just at the right timing for us. 
I love that the creator of the world, the God who was here yesterday, today, and forever, thought of me and thought of you. And he sent his one and only son that forever and for always, nothing would stand in the way of God knowing us. God draw near in his son. I love that. God knew what we needed. And this time is reminding us how generous his love is for us. How generous God wants his love to be lavished on us. And it's the perfect fit. This reminds me of our big idea that we're going to focus on today. And our big idea is this, that God is always working to accomplish his purpose. God is always working. Take that in. Rest in that this morning. That he's always working in spite of our hurriedness, in spite of us missing it, in spite of us, God is always working. And that's our series that we've been focusing on today and this season, that we're remembering that joy is fulfilled, that God is at work. Uh, probably a lot of us, when it comes to Christmas time, we, we've just grown so uh, accustomed to thinking about uh, Christmas almost like a tradition that we forget in some ways uh, the way that the story has set us up for Christmas in such a beautiful way uh, that we're seeing that this isn't just a standalone moment, but that God has been working towards this moment. And uh, this Christmas season, we did something a little different. We, we kind of looked at Christmas through the eyes of prophets. We looked at some of the prophecies and some of the roles that prophets would play to set up this thing. And so when we look at Christmas, we see that it is a very, there's something very intentional happening. I want to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, kind of an interesting Christmas text. But Galatians 4, 4 through 7 is, is kind of a wonderful Christmas text. And I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things this morning, because as Kim said, it's important as we've seen uh, in our study, if you're new with us, we've been doing this study together called The Story, where we've been trying to understand the, the big God story of Scripture. And so every week we are looking at uh, three things. We are trying to understand one of the, what we call lower stories, one of the kind of key moments of Scripture. But we're trying to see how those, those moments are all tied together to create one big story. That the Bible is not a collection of stories. It is one story. It is God's story. It is his story to redeem us, to be in relationship with us now and forever. And so we've entered into this moment, this, uh, this kind of halfway point where God, who has set a, a, a time, he's, he has been working. We see from the very beginning, he designed us to be in relationship with him. When we pushed him away, he began this rescue plan. In fact, most of the Bible we see is describing how God is working and reworking and reworking to pull us back into that relationship. And so we see those things happening. Uh, but, but it's fascinating if you start looking now, uh, one of the things I love about our journey together in the story is that we come to a moment like this in Christmas and we can now think through this and go, wow, God has been working towards this moment. Uh, this isn't a panic mode. Uh, this, is, this is something God has been working towards. He's always working to accomplish his purposes. And we want you to think about that, one, on, on a sense of, a, of the big idea of God's big story. But, the, but beyond just looking at a, at a lower story and the upper story, we always invite you to think about this. How does my story fit into God's story? So if, if God, by his very nature, is always working, 
always working to accomplish his purposes. Uh, today we want you to think a little bit on Christmas, this last day of, of this last Sunday on, on 2016. How maybe is God working in your life, your family's life? How's he trying to accomplish his purposes? What are the ways he's nudging you and calling to you? Uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I want, what I want to do is I want to show us a scripture that I think is so great to see this. And then let's think a little bit about where we've been on this journey together. So the scripture says this, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Uh, it says this, that, that God, uh, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons, God sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has, also, has made you also an heir. Now, uh, this letter of uh, Galatians, uh, many scholars believe this is the very first piece of the New Testament, the first letter that was written. Uh, and, and we see that Paul is reminding us of, of some of the very important things that Jesus has come to do. God, in his perfect wisdom, in his perfect timing, has sent his son. Now, some historians look at this moment in history and, and are amazed by it and say, <coughs> it really is a special moment. Uh, the, the, when you think of the Roman Empire is at its height, that there, is a, there are Roman roads to travel. And so the uh, and, uh, guards, legions of guards that are protecting it. So there's this, there's this uh, opportunity, not only for this event to happen, but for God's message to go out into the world as it was. People could travel with greater ease, and, and uh, uh, years later we'll see as the, the church begins to take the good news to all of the world. The, the Greek language is starting to uh, come and, and hold uh, the world together. Uh, mo- the New Testament was written in what's called Koine Greek. It was the language of the majority of the people. And so there, the message could be understand, understood by a large group of people. Uh, but besides kind of those kind of practical things, there seems to be kind of a spiritual longing in the people as well. And so the, the Greeks and the Romans, they, there was kind of a longing that all their many gods, there, there was something that was leaving them longing for more. If the, you think about the uh, God's people, the Jewish people, they had been waiting, waiting for a promised king. Uh, as we've been sharing, yeah, think about this, that as we left, as Jason left us on that final message, we, we see them taken into captivity. Uh, they're, they're over being ruled by Babylonians, and we'll see then the Persians as we come back to it. They're, they're now being ruled by Romans. Uh, they want to be ruled by God's king. They don't want to be ruled by anyone else. And so there's this longing for this to happen. And we see this, that God all along has been working. So let me just take us back through our last couple months together. Think about this, how God has been working. Uh, We've been uh, going through this story and think about, we were in chapter two. Chapter two was 4,000 years before this time and God had promised this nomad named Abraham that through his child that the whole world would be blessed. We got to chapter four and we saw here we are 600 years later in that, that elderly infertile couple this people had grown to this numerous number, but they were strapped in slavery. It certainly doesn't seem as if these are the people that can bless the world. 
But as they uh, are moved, as Moses leads his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, Deuteronomy 18 says this, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And through the years, God raised up many prophets, but the people still are waiting for this special prophet to come. We got to chapter 7, and we saw how Joshua led the people into the promised land. And 400 years later, God raises up this king, King David, this, this king that is like no other king at the time. And David wanted to build something great. Think about chapter 11, we saw this, this, the, 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 the temple and the, the desire to have a temple built. In chapter 12, he talked about this uh, descendant that would come after and all along, we're watching this, this story be woven together. God working and reworking. God coming around us when we push and we fail and we, and we struggle. And he told David, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And the people waited, and they waited, they wandered, and they wandered. Everything away from what God desired for them. And we find ourselves in this place of, uh, where we left, chapter 17. Nation is split into two. They're facing destruction, exile. They've been taken away. The city is broken down. The temple is burned to the ground. I mean, if there's ever a moment where it just seems God has said, enough. No more. I can't, I can't work with these people. Uh, this is where we left. But remember, there's a prophecy that comes. There are prophecies that come, and we've been looking at some of the different ones. Isaiah chapter 9 says this. Isaiah could speak into this darkness, and he would say this. For, uh, for to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Will accomplish this. This day will come. God will accomplish his purposes. But it would take 400 years for that time to come. From the moment we got, we kind of jumped ahead. We'll come back on the 15th. We'll kind of cycle back and see. But 400 years of silence, of waiting. I mean, think about that. That's almost twice our nation's history. I mean, think about waiting that long. How easy it would be to give up. But probably in the the. the the portion of the New Testament that, by honest admission, you would say, I skip over the most. If you've ever read the book of Matthew, you start with what's called a genealogy. And you see it, and it's kind of, this person was born to this person. And you kind of go, How, do, does it count if I, I, I want to read the whole Bible, and I want to read the whole book of Matthew, but it still counts if I skip this part, right? Like, I don't have to read this part, right? Have you ever thought about that? I want to encourage you, go back and read that now that we have come through the story as far as we have. 
And those names are going to start triggering off to you some of the the experiences we've had together. Because you're going to see names like Ruth and Rahab. You're going to see all kinds of people along the way whose journeys we've been walking in. And he begins this, uh, uh, it's kind of, there's like this beautiful order to it. If you look closely, 14 generations to, from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to exile, and 14 generations from exile to Christ. There's kind of this beautiful rhythm, God working out his purposes, accomplishing all that he wants, fulfilling all that he wants, and he's bringing this fulfillment to the promises he's made, this desire. Now, here's one of the most interesting things. And I, I, I'm, I become so fascinated going through the story, but also discovering there's something so unique for us, I think, where we can hold the Bible so true to our hearts. And we can really, really hold this as the word of God. Matthew, Matthew 1 is one of those places because a genealogy isn't just kind of a record. It's kind of like a resume. Uh, do you know what, when was the last time you had to write a resume or a CV? You know, you have to kind of like, like you don't want to admit it, but you're trying to write the best stuff possible, right? You're kind of trying to, pat, like they call it padding your resume. You're looking, you don't, you don't tell them everything. You tell them the best stuff. Matthew does something interesting. When you read through the genealogy and you think about it through our journey, through the story, you're going to see something. Matthew doesn't pad the resume. Matthew tells the story just as it is. And as we're going through it, you see people that you wouldn't normally list in genealogies. You wouldn't list women. There are five women listed. Three of them are not Jewish. I mean, you wouldn't, this doesn't make a lot of sense to do, but notice what God's doing. He's telling, this is my story. This is our story. And it includes the people that we push away. It includes the people that feel like they're outcasts. But they are part of my story. And he names certain people and he draws you in. He draws us in to some of the darker stories that we've been reading. You'll see it. In fact, some of the stories I won't even mention here today because your kids are in here with us. And I don't want you to have to explain things afterwards. Uh, You can do that on your own. You figure out how you're going to do that. But when you read through that, you will see this. And once again, you'll see, wow, he just lists everything that's happening. He doesn't pat it. He doesn't do it. And we see something so special about God's word. It doesn't try to hide things. It doesn't try to hide things that shepherds, untrustworthy liars, thieves, are the first witnesses of, of the birth of Christ. Or as we'll see coming up in a few months, that the very first witness of the resurrection is a woman. Uh, in that time, a woman couldn't even testify in court. But God just says, I'm just going to tell you how it is. Because I'm going to fulfill my purposes. And you're welcome to come with us. And so we see this beautiful thing that, that is happening. And, and, and all this, what I want you to see today is simply this. That as we're traveling through the story, as we've come to this halfway point, as we'll pick it up, uh, on this Christmas day, I want you to believe with all your heart that God is working. That he's working in your life. He's working in our life. He's working in our church and he's fulfilling his purposes. And sometimes we're going to resist him. And it will take longer. Sometimes we'll push him away. Sometimes we will reject him. 
But we see that he's good, and that he's patient, and that he loves us, and he keeps working and working and working. And on this last Sunday of the year, we want you to think a little bit about how God may be working in your life and how he may be working in your family in this next year. I love that we have a good God who works in our lives when we forget to notice, who answers when we forgot what we prayed for. Everything is done in his timing, and his timing is the right timing. And I'm thankful that I'm starting to get older and realize that. I'm realizing, oh, thank you, Lord, for not answering that at that time. Thank you, Lord, for steering this direction I never thought I was going to go, and it's so much better. Oh, you are a God who gives such good gifts. Well, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I forget to notice that God is at work. Sometimes I'm in a place where it just feels like I can't keep going. I don't know if some of you guys are there with your family right now. You might be in a health situation that seems unbearable. You might be in a job situation that seems like you don't know what's happening in it. So what I want you guys to do is not forget that God is at work. So when you guys came in, we gave you an ornament. And I want you to feel free to take one for yourself or one for your family. But this is what I want you to do. If there are things in your life right now that you want to know and be reminded that God is at work, I want you to take time before Christmas is over for you to sit down as a family, as a couple, with yourself, and I want you to write them down. Take a Sharpie and reflect on those. Our family took time for doing that this week, and some of them we wrote down was our son, Trevor. We don't know what God's plans are for him right now. Where should he go for school? It's kind of overwhelming. How do we afford this? Where should he go? Lord, where do you want him? That's fertile ground. Write that down. Another thing for us is my dad. When is this hard man's heart going to turn to you, God? I'm begging you. I'm praying. I don't see you at work. And we wrote that down. We wondered what's going on in Rebecca's life with her education. She's having struggles. She has some learning disability. Lord, where do you want her to be? What do you want? And we wrote that down. What I want you to do is stop this Christmas, today, tomorrow, and the next day. And I want you to say, Lord, I know you are good. I know you are generous. Lord, where are you at work? Where do you want us to be? Where do you want my ministry to be? Where do you want me to be working with my 8 to 15? Who are my 8 to 15? Write it down on this ornament. Hang it on your tree. And I want you to be reminded that God is at work in spite of us. God is at work when we forget. God is at work accomplishing his goals. And then when you pack your ornaments away, pack them all away. And I pray that we're still obedient and prayerful to those things. But here's what I'm hoping. When you unpack those ornaments next year and you hang this up, you are in awe of how God did work. You are in awe 
and your joy is fulfilled that you have a good God. And you're in awe of how he's still working because his timing is the right timing. So take these home, take some time, and I hope next year when you unpack them, you are reminded that God's joy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that he's given us the one perfect gift that fits right, that's found, and is there just for you. During this next year, you are going to be invited to jump, uh, to trust the Lord's voice and to jump, to jump into his arms, to jump into his care. And, uh, and as you create this, uh, you're going to start sensing some of those areas in which God, you don't quite know what you're jumping into. Uh, there's a great story from World War II that uh, during the time uh, of where Germany was bombing England, uh, there was a father and his son, and they were hiding in this home. And uh, as the shell hit, they kind of were running, trying to find a place of safety. There was a giant shell hole. And so the father jumped into the hole first. And then he reached up his arms for his son to, to leap in. He was calling to his son and telling him to jump to him. But because the, the hole was so deep, his son could look in and all he could see was darkness. And he would say, Father, I can't see you. I don't know where to jump. And the father, looking up in the sky, he said simply this. He says, but I can see you. Jump. And the boy jumped because he trusted his father, because he trusted his voice, even though he couldn't see quite where he was jumping. Uh, this next year, you're going to be called to jump. Uh, there are times where it's, it's scary, uh, but as you're learning to hear his voice, listen to his voice, he's going to say, trust me, jump. And, and I want to give you something as we close out the year, probably one of the best ways we could close out the year is by <coughs> sharing together in communion. And, and, and as we share together in this time, what we see ultimately is that, that God is willing to hold nothing back to accomplish his purposes, to bring us to himself. He was born to serve us. He was born to sacrifice for us. Philippians 2 says it really well. Listen to these, these great words. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, in these closing moments, in a moment that ushers will come and they'll pass the trays to you, I want to invite you to, to make sure you grab, uh, there's two, two cups, they're, they're uh, stacked together, make sure you grab both cups. But we don't just remember that Jesus was born, we remember the purpose of which he was born. He came, as he said, not to be served, which a king should rightly feel that is his privilege and honor. He said, I have come instead to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. 
And as we spend this, uh, the, these final moments of our year together, uh, I want you to be uh, reminded of that, that last night of Jesus' life where he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which is being broken for you. Take and eat and remember me. He took a cup and he passed it and he said that this cup represents my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink and remember me. And as we uh, worship together this Christmas morning, what, what better thing can we do but to remember him that he's always working to accomplish his purposes, even if it means the sending of his one and only son, even if it means the son surrendering his life as an atonement for our sin. Thank him for that. Praise him for that. Worship him for that. Let me just say this. This morning, if you are a Christmas spectator, if Christmas is something you kind of look at and you enjoy the cultural part of Christmas, uh, I want to invite you to be a Christmas participant. I want to invite you to, to know this God who has been working since the very beginning of creation to draw you to himself. And so if you've never turned to Jesus and made him your Lord, your Savior, uh, this is why he's come. If you could save yourself, he would show you how to do it. The truth is we cannot save ourselves, and so he's come to save us from ourselves, from sin, from death. And this morning, if you confess your need for him, if you turn away from the life that's independent from him and put your faith in him, he will fill you. He will, you will do life as you were always meant to do it with him. And his offer is abundant life forever, now and forever. He will fill your life with his spirit. He will wash away your sin. And so as the tray comes, I, I invite you, just grab the cups, place it in the little cup holder in front of you, and take a moment. And on Christmas Day, 2016, commit your life to him. Let him rush in. It's the best gift you're going to get today, is eternal life. The filling of his spirit, the forgiveness of your sins. What gift possibly could you get better today? And if that's your desire, as the cups come by, just take it, place there, just in your own prayer, you don't have to have, they're not magic words. The Lord will hear your heart. You share with him your desire to put your faith in him and to become, to become his child. The best part I love about the Galatians passage is this. Did you notice what it said? It says that he, he saves us out of slavery into sonship. And, and that word is really specific because it, it, the idea is for men and women that we would be adopted as his children and receive all the rights and privileges of an heir. His name, his protection, his blessings, his inheritance. This is his desire. And his desire for you is that you would call out to him, Abba, Father. Abba was basically the first word that children would, would learn. It means daddy. That's the relationship God wants to have with you. That's why when the time was right, he sent his son. He does not want to be far from you. He wants to be so close to you that you can call out to him, Daddy. And so let's pray. Our ushers will come. When you're ready, do this. When you're ready, take and eat the bread. 
but will you hold on to the cup? And I'm going to come back up in a few moments. Once everyone's been served, you've had a few moments to to, uh, pray. And then we'll take the cup together. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, how possibly could we say thank you enough for the gift of your son? A moment like this when we remember the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood is is incredibly humbling to us. We feel so unworthy to receive this gift. This This is far too elaborate, far too expansive, expensive. I think of the, the wise words a friend said to me, when, when you receive an elaborate gift and you don't know what to do, the best thing to do is just to say thank you. And so in this moment, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the gift of your life and the life we have now and forever. May you be blessed in this moment. Bless our families as we take of the bread and the cup, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you're ready, eat the bread and then hold on to the cup.